We're starting a new series today. We're starting in the book of First Thessalonians, so you can open your Bibles to First Thessalonians, and the, the title of our series is Living Hope, Living Hope, or rather Hopeful Living, sorry, I gave you the, the working title. Hopeful Living is the title of our sermon series today. And, um, and so I, I'm having you turn to 1 Thessalonians, um, and if you're wondering where that is, it's in the middle of the New Testament, and so you go past the Gospels, you go past Acts, uh, you go past the book of Romans, and First and Second Corinthians, and then you go past GE Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you come to 1 Thessalonians, and that's where we're going to be. Mark your, your place there in 1 Thessalonians because um, we're going to spend some time in the book of Acts as a setup for this. So uh, Acts chapter f- uh, 15 is where we're going to begin today. So 1 Thessalonians, mark your place there. Then Acts chapter 15 uh, is where we'll start. Let me pray. We'll get into it. Father, we thank you again for this time together in your word. And our prayer this morning is that you would be glorified and that we would honor you in our hearts and our minds. And I pray you would settle us right now. Settle us, Lord, here before your throne as you speak to us from your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us minds and hearts that are are ready to comprehend what you say to us, and that you would pour out your spirit who you promised would lead us into all truth. And Lord, finally, we pray we would not be hearers only today, but that you would make us to be doers of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask it together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. First Thessalonians is what's known as an epistle, which just is, is a fancy way of saying it's a letter. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, about the year 53 AD, and he wrote it to a church that he planted on his second missionary journey uh, with several guys, Silas, uh, Timothy, and Dr. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and also wrote the book of Acts, which is where we're going to jump in right now, Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 40. It tells us there, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Now, it starts with the word but. What happens there is that Paul, now embarking on his second missionary journey, the desire was, hey, let's go back out to all the churches that we planted on our first missionary journey. And he had this conversation um, with uh, a guy by the name of Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Barnabas played a huge role in the Apostle Paul's life. He was the guy that stood up for the Apostle Paul when Paul was radically converted and went into Jerusalem. All the disciples were like, who are you, man? You're the guy that kills Christians. And they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Barnabas was the guy who stood up, vouched for Paul, and said, hey, look, this guy's, this, this guy's legit. He had, he, had a, he had a legitimate come-to-Jesus experience, which is what we're praying for Kanye West right now, that he has had a legitimate come-to-Jesus experience. But the thing is, is that Barnabas said, hey, look, this is legit. This guy has come to know the Lord, and he threw in behind Paul, and so uh, great things happened. And ultimately, Paul joined Barnabas in a church where God was moving, where God was working, where it was a, it was a great thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, they went out uh, from that church on their first missionary journey. They took with them a guy by the name of John Mark, um, and uh, he, was, um, he was young. 
and he kind of tapped out in the middle of the trip. And so when time came for the second missionary journey, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, wants to bring John Mark again. Paul, not so much, probably because, hey, that guy, he, he tapped out, he, he, he wasn't faithful uh, to, to, to stay the course with us, um, and I don't want to bring baggage and carry-ons on a missionary trip, so I'm not bringing him. So they had a bitter disagreement. This is one of the ways, by the way, that we know that the Bible is true, because it paints its heroes, warts and all, and, and Barnabas and Saul had a bitter disagreement about who they're going to bring on this second missionary journey. So what happened was that it was so bitter that they decided, hey, look, you go your way, I'm going to go my way. You go do your thing. I ain't bringing John Mark. And so Paul chooses Silas, and, um, and, you know, God has his will done. We see later on in the book of Acts, Barnabas and Paul doing ministry together again. Um, and, uh, and so although their, their contention was sharp and bitter, um, God got the victory. God doubled down in the moment. And now instead of one team going out, there's two teams going out. Uh, and all things God, you know, works it together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. So here Paul chooses Silas, goes out, on this missionary journey, he's commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16, verse 1, then Paul came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, And Paul wanted to have Timothy go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Paul wants to become all things to all men, doesn't want to have, you know, the minister to the Jews and have this uncircumcised uh, Greek man. Uh, And so he, you know, has him circumcised there so that there's no stumbling block in the way of the Jews that they're trying uh, to reach. And verse 4 says, As they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. And listen, this is, this is the idea. When you came into church today, you came in through the foyer, and you saw a big sign, and it says, leading people to know, to love, and to serve Jesus. That's the, the one string on our guitar here is that we make disciples. And discipleship is a lifelong process. It's a coming to Jesus, and then it's a growing up in Jesus. And our goal is that you would be strengthened in your walk and that the Lord would add daily to the church such as should be saved. And so this is what happens. Mission accomplished. The Holy Spirit's at work, and the churches are being strengthened. Verse 6, Now when they had gone through Pergia, And the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. We don't know how this went down. We don't know how God made it clear, hey, don't go in that direction. But God showed up. They knew it was God, that they couldn't go in this direction. And so verse 7 says, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. Okay, you don't want us going that way. We'll go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not prevent them. Again, we don't know how. But the Spirit is steering. He's at work. <clears throat> and so verse 8 says, Passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, 
saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And verse 10 tells us, after Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I want you to understand, missionary work has always been the foundation of Christianity. A missionary endeavor, a missionary heart. Um, To begin with, Jesus himself was a missionary. Dr. David Livingston, that famous pioneer missionary to Africa, he's quoted as saying that God had one son and he made him a missionary. Paul says this to the Philippines. He said, Jesus made himself, uh, to the Philippians, <laughs> Jesus, may, I suppose he says it to the, to the Philippines too, as they read Philippians 2, 7 and 8. Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus lived a missionary life, stepping out of the splendor of heaven to come to earth to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus, as we've been looking through our series through Luke, after his resurrection, he commissioned his disciples. He passed the baton onto his disciples. And the baton that was passed was that they should continue the work that he started. And this is exactly where we left off where uh, Luke records both in the Gospel of Luke, uh, in Luke 24, and again in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, that the disciples were to proclaim the Gospel in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They're commissioned with a mission and a message, that they are to proclaim that there is a God in heaven that loves you desperately. And that God desperately desires a relationship with you. That's the good news of the gospel. God is not an angry, vengeful God that is looking to pour out his wrath. He will pour out his wrath on those that reject him, but God doesn't want to do that. That's not his heart. God's heart is that he loves you desperately. He loves you so much, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins in your place. And it's been said that if a person goes to hell, they get there literally over Jesus's dead body. That Jesus came to give his life so that you don't lose yours. That's the heart of the Lord. That's the good news of the gospel. The bad news of the gospel is the reason that Jesus came. And that is that we are all separated from God by our sin. That we are sinners by nature and by choice. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Ultimately, a spiritual death. Certainly physical death. It's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. This is what the Bible says. You will die. You will stand before the Lord. And what will you say on that day? Well, if you've responded to the good news of the gospel, what you will say is that Jesus died for me. Jesus paid the debt that I owed. And this is the good news. We are to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And this is the baton that the disciples carry. And they're saying, look, Jesus Christ has made a way that you can be made right. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for God made him who knew no sin 
to be sin for us or to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You can be right, you can be made holy, you can be made pure, all through surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today as we close. That you can know for certain where you will spend eternity. That you can know for certain that your sins are forgiven. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you believe. Deep down, everybody is painfully aware that there is something deeply flawed with humanity. There is, there is, there is something sincerely wrong. And deep down, whether you believe in God or not, listen, in, 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 there are those, those moments that come in where you recognize there's something deeply wrong. And the problem is that we are hopelessly powerless to fix what's wrong with us. Absolutely powerless. Truth is, we need help. And the gospel is the only thing that offers us that help. And so beginning in Acts chapter 2, we see the disciples take this baton and they go out. And they're embarking on the mission that Jesus Christ has personally given to them, which is to bring hope to the lost. And what we soon discover as you go through the book of Acts and you see the disciples go out, and as they're bringing the gospel... What they encounter is people that are just like you, people that are just like me. They encounter fathers that are trying to provide for their families. They encounter mothers who are just trying to nurture their children and be loved by their husbands. They encounter young adults who are trying to come to terms with adulting and figure everything out. And they encounter families that are trying to work out their newfound faith and they're trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian in a hostile culture. This is what we discover in Acts. It's no different today. This is what's going down. These are people with questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? People that, that have questions about how is Christianity relevant to my life? How do I endure through trials and temptations? How is it that Christian community is supposed to work? How does all this work together? These are the people they encounter and they are giving to them the message of the gospel and the hope of hopeful living. How do you live out your faith? And so throughout the book of Acts, we see them on this mission. They're bringing the gospel to Jerusalem. They bring the gospel to Judea. They go on to Samaria. And what happens when you get to Acts chapter 13, you see now they're starting to go out to the ends of the earth, right? They, they plant a church in a place called Antioch, which is near the border of um, Turkey and Syria, kind of near where we just recently pulled lots of our troops out from. And so they plant this church in Antioch, and in Antioch, God assembles some amazing people in that church. Among them, Barnabas is there, the Apostle Paul is there, and, and other, you know, very on-fire Christians are there, and the Holy Spirit shows up one day in a prayer meeting, and he says to the group that's assembled, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas to the work to which I've called them. And I've often jokingly said that if I were the pastor of the church in Antioch, I'd be bumming hard right about that point, because I'm like, you're taking my best guys, right? But, but God has them that he's sending them out on mission. And so that begins Paul's first missionary journey that we talked about in the beginning. He and Barnabas go out, and they make disciples, and they plant churches. And really, it's been said, ultimately, you and I are Christians today, 
because of this missionary endeavor, this missionary journey that, that the Holy Spirit called Paul out to. Well, a few years goes by, it's about 51 AD, Paul is sent out on his second missionary journey as we began in our text there in in chapter 15, and he starts out with Silas, Timothy soon joins him, and as they travel, they receive this vision of a man of Macedonia calling them, Macedonia is in modern day Greece, and he's calling them to that region, and um, by the way, some point out and make the the observation that this might be the point where Dr. Luke joined their team. If you, we know that Luke wrote this, the book of Acts, where we're currently sitting right now, and uh, and there's a, in verse 10, you notice a subtle change in the language, because all up until this point, it was, they did this, and they did that, and they did this other thing. And then you get to chapter 16, verse 10, and it says, immediately after Paul had seen the vision, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord uh, had, had called us to preach the gospel to them. So we and us is now what's being used, and as this is written by Luke, it's obvious, hey, this is when Luke joined their team. And in fact, some commentators think it's possible that Luke was the guy in Paul's vision, you know, a man of Macedonia saying, come and join us. And we don't know whether that's true, but anyway, so Paul, he immediately gets on a ship, and he's on this second missionary journey. He crosses the Aegean Sea, and he goes to the region of Macedonia in, Greek, in Greece to the area of Philippi, and they get straight to work. And ultimately, what happens is that they're run out of town. You would think that if the Holy Spirit has called you and said, hey, I want you to go over to Macedonia, you would think, man, it's going to be, it's good, the doors are going to be wide open. Not so. God allows persecution, and persecution comes against that, right? And so they are driven out, but not before they had planted a thriving church there in that place. And then from Philippi, now you've got Paul, he's traveling with Silas, he's got Timothy, and he's got Dr. Luke, and they follow the Roman highway south, and then what happens is they come to a place called Thessalonica, this is the home of the Thessalonians. And this is a principal Roman city. And so uh, you look at Acts chapter 17, if you want to just turn there, and it, it just details that for us. It says, now when they had passed through uh, Ampip, uh, Amphipolis, that place, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as his custom was, went into them And for three Sabbaths, how many weeks is that? Three weeks, right? He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So this is Paul's message. He's there in Thessalonica. And some of them, verse 4, were persuaded And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Now, again, the Holy Spirit is called. The Holy Spirit is moving. Clearly, a a, a harvest is is being, you know, reaped here. But yet, persecution comes again. And they're run out of town. But not before they planted the church 
of Thessalonica. Now, take note, how long was Paul's work there? Three weeks. Three weeks. And, and it's amazing to consider that it was only three weeks that Paul was there. It's, it says there that if, as you go on in the text that, that they're not done hounding Paul. That Paul is run out of the area and ultimately he's going to be chased down to Berea and then he's going to be chased out of Berea and he's going to go to Athens. But Paul leaves behind Silas and Timothy. And what he says is, look, I, basically, I want you to strengthen this, this, this brand new baby plant that's starting to grow. I want you guys to, they're running me out of town. You guys, you know, covertly stay here, strengthen them, minister to them, and then you guys come join me later in Corinth. That's a lot of shorthand of what happens there in the book of Acts. But basically, that's what happens. And so Paul's time in Thessalonica was very short but he made it count. Now, here's a point of application for us. Last week, if you were here when Pastor Jason taught, he taught out of Haggai chapter 2, did a brilliant job. And Jason made this same point. He said this. He said, we have a unique short time to serve the Lord, and that time is right now. That time is right now. You see, just as God spoke to Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant of the people there in Judah that the time to build the temple was right now, Paul has this same attitude. And I would imagine when Paul went to Thessalonica, when he began to preach, I would imagine he didn't realize that he was going to have such a short amount of time with them, only three weeks. But listen, he made it count. He made his time count. His, this church is planted. They're grounded in, in solid doctrine. They're growing, right? And here's the application for us. We need to make our time count. You need to make your time count. The, you, you don't know. James 4.14 says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. You don't know how much time you've got. You don't know how much time you've got in your witness. You don't know how much time you've got to, to be an ambassador of Christ to those that God has placed you uh, in those circle of influences. You don't know how long you have to, to minister and to, to, to work. Your time is short in your marriage. Your time is short with your kids, relatively speaking. Listen, when my kids were born, everybody told me, hey, enjoy it because it goes fast. And it's not that I didn't believe that, because I, I, I believe that that was true. But let's be honest. When you are in a season of diapers and getting up a thousand times in the middle of the night, and, oh boy, it's daylight savings time, and you get an extra hour of sleep. No, you don't, because your kids are up, right? And you're like, it's a cruel joke. It is not fair. You know, and then, you know, you've got life thrown into the mix and it's soccer practices and it's football and it's baseball and it's, you know, school conferences and, and it's just, hey, can so-and-so sleep over and all of these things and everybody tells you, enjoy it, it goes quick and frankly, you're in a season sometimes where you go, it can't come quick enough, right? But then I started noticing something. I started noticing that there were last times that happened, and I never realized it. See, I've talked about this before, but we, everybody remembers the first time. Oh, his first words. Oh, her first steps. 
oh, you know, all of these firsts that you sell, or first day of school. The last times sneak by and you don't notice. Listen, there's going to be a last time when you tell your child a bedtime story. And it'll sneak by, and then you'll realize, and you'll think back, when was the last time I told a bedtime story to my kid? When was the last time? It snuck by. You didn't notice it. I used to put my kids up on my shoulders, and we'd go down to the beach, and I'd put all three of them up on my shoulders. I, don't, I, doubt, I, could, I doubt I could do that again uh, with my grandkids. But I used to take, you know, I'd take the oldest, I'd put her up right on my shoulder, and then the youngest, and the, the oldest would duck, and she'd flip her head around and sit on this shoulder, and then Scotty would go on this shoulder, and we'd walk down the beach. I can't remember the last time I did that. The last time sneaked by. And there's going to be a last time. And now my kids are all grown up. They're all moved out. They got families of their own. How do you know what your life's going to be like tomorrow? Your life's like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. And so Paul here makes his time count in planting this church of Thessalonica. And so he's run out of town. He leaves these guys behind for a short period of time, make sure they're getting going, but come then join me. We got more work to do. But as he's doing that more work, the, the book of Acts tells us that he began to have a burden for what's going on with these guys, right? And so it goes on, and in the course of time, what, what happens as he's got a burden for this church, these churches, he's realizing these guys, they've gotten started off on the right foot, but they've got confusions, they, that, that need to be cleared up. They're confused about the end times and, uh, and the second coming of Christ. And, and they're confused about doctrine and they're confused about how to live out their faith. They're confused about holy living. How do they do church? Uh, what's spiritual leadership look like? How's leadership in the church? What's it supposed to look like? All of these things are the things that Paul's going to address in this letter that he now sends to the Thessalonians. These are the things that we're going to be getting into. I like what Dr. G. Campbell Morgan said. He said, First Thessalonians is full of interest because it is certainly among the first of those which have been preserved for us by the pen of the Apostle Paul. It was the first letter that he wrote to European Christians, and in this letter, the judgmental thi- or the fundamental things of the Christian life are very clearly set forth. We're going to see some amazing things. Now, that's debated. Some people think, think that Paul first wrote the, the letter to the Galatians. Others think this is the very first letter that he wrote, 1 Thessalonians. But man, that's... That's all rich stuff. So with that rather lengthy interview, we come now to 1 Thessalonians, if you'll turn there. And we are going to focus on all of one verse in 1 Thessalonians for our remaining time today. All right, let's read that first verse. Paul, Silvanius, which is the long-handed version of Silas. Uh, My name's Ted. It's a nickname. Uh, My actual given name is Edgar. Um, I gave it back, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so you've got, you've got Paul, you've got Silvanus, and you've got Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's unpack that. I'm going to make two points today, and my first point is this. If you're taking notes, I want you to take note of the company that Paul kept. 
I want you to take note of the company that he kept. David Guzik says this in his commentary. He says, Paul was an amazing man and apostle of God, but he usually did not work all by himself. Whenever he could, Paul worked with a team. Understand, guys, this is foundational for every missionary endeavor, every ministry endeavor, every endeavor that you will make as a Christian. It's foundational that you don't work alone. That God has placed you in community. And he's placed you in community for a purpose. When Paul began in ministry, there was a team of people involved. And the Bible speaks about the roles of of Ananias and a guy named Judas who were there in Paul's conversion and playing an active participatory role as Paul came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ in rather dramatic fashion, I might add. And you read about all the disciples in Damascus at Paul's conversion and how they played a foundational role in his development. And then you get Barnabas. Like I told you, Barnabas was the guy who threw in behind Paul. When all the disciples said, this guy kills Christians and we're skeptical of him, Barnabas was the guy who said, no, no, man, his conversion's legit. And he comes alongside Paul and he's nurturing Paul and, you know, ends up being the guy that, that probably is instrumental in Paul coming and being a foundational part of that work in Antioch and setting the stage for the missionary work that would go to the end the earth. Um, And here now you've got Silvanus and you've got Timothy and they're involved with Paul in ministry. And there were lots of others. Dr. Luke was involved with him. A guy named Tychicus was involved with him, serving with him. Epaphras and Demas and Priscilla and Aquila and, and Trophimus and all these different people that are mentioned in other letters that were teaming together and working with the Apostle Paul. And the same goes for every church, I might add. You know, the, the Dariuses and the Papas and the Mike and Reeses and the, the Waylands and the Bobby Jays and the Shirleys. And I, there's, there's, listen, everything that happens in this church is, is a, the result of God working in and then God working through the body of Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians talks about how God gifts different people and places different people in the body for what purpose? For the building up of the body. And God has gifted you in particular ways to where he's called you to play that participatory role in the life of somebody else. Many of you are Christians today because somebody played that building work in your life. And the thing is, is that in your families, it's the exact same thing. That, that there, are, there are those that God wants to do a, a work in and he wants to do the work through you. Your kids are yours for a very brief period of time. And there's, there's, a, there's a work that's to be done there. And the thing is, is that we, we have just this, this crazy, overwhelming emphasis on that we should be engaged with one another. It's an amazing thing to consider, and I made a slide out of this because I want you to get it. It's an amazing thing to consider the one another's of the Bible. It's actually an incredible list when you take the time to look for it. The Bible says that we are members of one another. 
that we are to receive one another, that we are to be like-minded with one another, that we're to greet one another. The key phrase, one another, over and over again, we're to serve one another, we're to love one another, the Bible says, that we're to have peace with one another, that we're to be kindly affectionate towards one another, that we're to encourage one another, that we're to have the same mind with one another, that we're to be willing to admonish one another, that's a treat, that we need to be willing to forgive one another to comfort one another, to edify one another, to exhort one another, to consider one another, not to forsake one another. The Bible says all of these one another's, not to grumble against one another, not to speak evil against one another, not to uh, lie to one another, that we're to confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, have compassion for one another, that we're to be hospitable to one another, that we are to submit to one another, and that we are to minister to one another, and there are more. And the Bible emphasizes one another. The bottom line is that we need one another. Brenda and I actually planted our very first church because we had a desperate real realization that we needed other Christians. We were starving in a community where we were lacking Christian fellowship and so much so that we started a Bible study in our home. We put our name on the pastor's wanted list down at Costa Mesa and there were, there were three couples meeting in my home and, and we, we put this, li- this name on the list and we're like, we are starving for Christian community. We started our first church because we needed Christian friends. And in a very short period of time, God brought over 6,500 Christian friends to that church because God wants to see a body grow. Let me ask you a question. And I pray that you really take it to heart, take a walk with it. Who are the one another's in your life? Who are the one another's in your life? Who, who are those that you are letting in? And by the way, this goes not just for the good company that we let in. There's also one another's that we can let in that are bad company. The Bible says this, do, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So I want you to take a walk with that. Who are the one another's in your life? Who are the people that you're letting in? Hey, who are the people you're not letting in? Some people, they can come to church, be surrounded by hundreds and thousands of people, and they're all alone. They've got a, they're, they're their own island. They've got, they got a wall up. Do you have a wall up this morning? See, the thing is, we need each other. One of our values here at Reliance Church is unity, and I would encourage you, I did a value series. If, if you're very new to the church, if you've never gone through our value series, I would encourage you to seek it out on our, our website and, and listen to it. But one of the values that we value is unity, and we articulate the value this way. We say, at Reliance Church, we value unity. We are a diverse family that sticks together in a world falling apart. And by any measure, our world is falling apart, isn't it? I mean, you look around, you read the news, you're on social media, heck, you drive your car, you realize that there's ugly division all around us. And it's getting worse by the day. And Jesus said it would be this way. Jesus said in the last days that sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Listen, we need to be aware that this happens. And you know, a lot of times, we kind of isolate ourselves. This can happen, even in church. I remember the story of a pastor, and I'm told this is a true story. I have no way of knowing. But there was a a guy who was a member of a church, and he'd stop showing up. 
And so the pastor went and paid him a visit at his house, and the guy kind of sheepishly greeted him, welcomed him in. He had a fire going. The two of them sat in the front room, and they just sat there silently, not saying anything. And then the pastor got up. He took the tongs to the fire. He took a, a, a red coal burning red hot in the midst of the fire. He took it out, and he set it off to the side uh, there in the fireplace, but away from the fire, and he, and he put the tongs down, went back, sat down, and they just watched together as that burning red coal just got cooler and cooler, turning black and black, and pretty soon, the fire was gone. And then the pastor got up, he took the tongs, he took that little coal, he stuck it right back in the fire, instantaneously, burning red hot. And with that, he returned the tongs, he turned to the man, he says, well, I have to leave now. And the man walked him to the door, and the guy got the message. At the door, he said to the pastor, Pastor, thanks for visiting, and thanks for the fiery sermon. I'll see you in church on Sunday. <laughs> see, the thing is, is that we need one another. And, and it is so critically important. Jesus said that the defining characteristic of a Christian is our love for one another, right? He said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The psalmist declared, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Unity is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Listen, in other words, the psalmist is saying that loving unity, guys, it's fresh and it's anointed, and it's alive, and listen, it's filled with peace. And so we notice the company that Paul kept, and he always kept company. And the company was spurring him on towards love and good deeds, and together they're spurring others on towards love and good deeds. This is what we need to be as a people, those in our lives that we're letting in, that are spurring us on, that are leading us to, that are encouraging us. And we always got to answer the question, is the company that I keep leading me closer to Jesus or is it leading me farther away from Jesus? It's something we got to take a walk with. Well, Paul now hits on the source of that unity. After the greeting, he says that I'm greeting to the church of the Thessalonians, and here's the qualifier, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ right? The church is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So my second point today, not just noticing the company that Paul keeps, but I want you to notice the company that the church keeps. The company that the church keeps in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist declares, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Paul concludes verse 1 with the blessings and the promise that is available to every church of God in Christ. He says, you are the church, of the church of the Thessalonians, you are the church in God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what's the blessing? Here it is, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace right? Grace, it's unmerited favor. What's in view here is the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. If you are 
in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, what that means is that you are a recipient of the grace of God which was lavished upon you and me on the cross of Christ. And we can't ever become numb to that. I beat that like a drum. I beat it every Sunday. And we can't ever become just ho-hum about the fact that we are recipients of God's grace because the fact is you deserve hell just for what you've done or thought today. You deserve hell. And the thing is, is that God gives you heaven in Jesus Christ. Everything you've ever done, he died for. We had a moment in Jerusalem this, on this trip and, and we, were, we were at the site of the Antonia Fortress. And if you want to know what happened there, watch the Passion of the Christ. And watch Jesus being beaten and scourged and mocked by the Roman soldiers. And we were sitting there in an assembly, a small group of us. And we're on the actual floor where that took place. And I don't know how to explain it other than to say that the Holy Spirit showed up, God ministering amongst us as we sat in the very place where by Jesus' stripes I was healed and you were healed. Jesus became a bloody mess of a man because of my sin and because of yours. And because God loves you and because he loves me, he gives us grace He doesn't want to give wrath. He took the wrath of God upon himself that you deserve, that I deserve. It's great. Grace, it's unmerited favor. And the result is peace. The church of God in Jesus Christ, if you are in God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the result is that you have peace. You have peace with God and you can have peace with your past, and peace with everything that makes you ashamed, we have peace. That's the good news of the gospel. And I want to ask you today, do you have that hope? Do you have that peace? Because you can. And if you are a partaker of that, then church, we should rejoice. We should just realize we have received every blessing. I'm going to call it quits right there. This is right where we're going to stop. I want to encourage you with what's coming because we're going to look at the doctrines of eschatology, which, which has to do with the second coming of Jesus. We're going to look at the rapture of the church. We're going to look at how to get ready in the coming weeks. We're going to deal with controversial topics, topic of election. We'll be looking at that next week. Uh, spiritual leadership in the church, what you should expect of your pastors, what your pastors should reasonably expect from you. We're going to look at how to deal with sexual sin. We're going to look at what happens when we die. We're going to look at uh, how do we remain faithful through persecution. We're going to look at the practices of a healthy church. In short, what is ahead for us in the coming weeks is hopeful living. How do we live with hope? That's the things we're going to get into. But I want to close with three questions this morning. Let me put them on the screen for you. Question number one, are you making your time count? Are you making your time count? If so, how? And if not, what, can, what changes can you make? Second question, what company are you keeping? Do your relationships take you closer to God or further away from God? And finally, are you abiding in the grace and the peace of God in Jesus Christ today?
And we'll put this up after the sermon, after the service. This will be up, so don't stress if you didn't get it all down. But as we close in prayer, I want to ask you, have you received the grace of Christ? Do you have the peace of God today? It's available to you right now.